0: But what I've realized recently is I thought that I was making music for children, but what I've realized is the music that I'm making is really for the children inside of all of us and how at some point in our lives, we all just want somebody to believe in us, to remind us that there's beauty in the world and that everything's gonna be okay.
1: While story invites us to ask powerful questions, your life and your story are shaped by the questions you ask. What is the story that you ache to tell?
2: The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible.
0: We are proud to be storytellers.
1: Well, first of all, you do you feel like a musician first or a storyteller first?
0: Oh, I feel like I'm more of a storyteller, um, kind of a m- more of a poet at yeah. heart. I mean, I I get into the studio and I I don't really have a mind for production, but I love writing the songs and I love singing the songs and the music part is kind of a mystery Mm -hmm. to me and and so I just I love expressing myself through the words and through the delivery
1: yeah but if you're on a plane sitting next to someone and they're like what do you do for a living you're like I'm a musician right
0: yeah I would say I'm a singer-songwriter
1: so let's talk about J.J. Heller She's an artist who's recorded 10 full-length projects, including some cover albums and even a couple children's albums. But as you'll see, she elevates the idea of what children's music can be, taking it from just simple, repetitive songs to something that's really uniquely moving. We'll get more into that soon, but for now, probably the best way to think of JJ is as a storyteller with an intricate understanding of how melody can enhance a good narrative. It's funny. I don't know if, even know if you'll remember this, but we were at some thing at in Nashville, and we had the same publicist at the time. And I was asked to do a card trick, and you were asked to sing a song. Uh, and it was who, I'm probably it's too I'm sure the name isn't this long, but it's like "Who Will Love Me for Me." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the first things I recognized at that time, because I was going through this season where I'm like, I'm not really a magician. I'm like a storyteller who happens to do magic tricks, and it was the first time in a while that I had heard a musician sing a song that I felt was like, man, she just told a story, right? And it was so similar to like, at that time I was listening to a lot of Johnny Cash and it was it was like not similar in style, but he had this approach to songwriting where it's like, I'm gonna sit and tell you a story, but I'm gonna strum on a guitar at the same time. Um, Has that always been a part of your music, your approach to writing songs? Or did that develop later on?
0: Yeah, I, I mean I kind of s- still have trouble thinking of myself as a musician. Um, but I've always loved words. And in high school, I was just telling somebody the story the other day that I had an English teacher, my sophomore year, who would have us do creative writing assignments at the beginning of every class. And over the course of the year, she she pulled me aside and she said, JJ, you have a gift for writing and i really think that you need to push yourself a little bit more and you need to maybe be in honors english next year and and i had i had never considered doing any honors classes i mean i was a good student but i wasn't <laughs> like super awesome and and she just believed in me and saw something in me that that i didn't really think was anything noteworthy yeah and and i actually I was more of an athlete in high school, and my whole dream for most of my young life was to play basketball in college. And And so I was in vocal ensembles in high school, but I never got very many solos, and so I thought, well, I like music, I like singing, but sports is really what I'm good at, so I'm just going to focus on that. And it wasn't until I played basketball my freshman year of college and was absolutely terrible um, that that I, kind like that dream had to die, basically. Mm. Um, and then there was room for this new dream of singing and songwriting. It was the summer after that failed freshman year season that I learned how to play the guitar and I wrote my first song with some friends. And then I started writing more songs and uh, playing them for girls in my dorm. And I was shocked every time that they would say, oh my gosh, I love that song. And it, it feels like you read my journal to write those words because that's exactly how I'm feeling. And and so it was just, it was a series of all of these tiny baby steps of realizing, okay, I think, I think I'm good at this. And and I really like it and it was always surprising when it would connect with other people because it's, I don't, I don't really love being on the stage. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily love performing, but I love sharing my heart and my, and my stories. And I love connecting with people through songs. And, um, and in fact, when I'm on the stage, I'm looking for people who are crying because once I can see somebody crying, then I know that, that, my music is connecting and then I kind of relax a little bit Mm. um, and I realize, okay, this, this matters. And and we're just, we're having a conversation. I'm not impressing anybody. I'm not trying to be a rock star. I just, I want to, I want to tell somebody about my life and I, and I hope that it encourages them and brings them peace.
1: So it's not about putting on a show. There's a story that you want to tell and you just tell that story with a musical underscore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And when did you guys meet?
0: Yeah, so my husband Dave is here, and we met right after I started writing songs in college. So that was about 1999, and um, he was playing guitar, and we just started playing songs together at open mic nights. And... There was this other drummer that we knew, and he really, really wanted to be in a band. And so he's like, okay, Dave, you play guitar, JJ, you sing and write the songs, and I'll be the drummer and the manager. And we're like, cool. Um, And he just kind of took care of everything, and he scheduled the practices. and uh, Yeah, and it's so interesting thinking back to that time, because... People were still, like, it was just enough encouragement from the audience to keep going. Uh, But I don't know what they saw in the music that we were making because it was just terrible. Um, (laughs) I hear
1: every artist say that, though. (laughs) You know, everyone's like, I have no idea why anyone liked it. Because early on, we all look back. And what's crazy is you will probably say that about the art you're making right now, 10 years from now. You'll look back at it and be like, I can't believe it worked. Like, why did people like it? It was awful.
0: Because oh, we, just, I hope we always get better. <laughs> Don't right? say that. Don't say that. <laughs> well,
1: it's not because it is awful. It's because our own perspective changes and we grow as artists and creators and look back at our previous works, going, "Ugh, I want to go back and do it over."
0: Yeah. But. Well, I think what else is funny about that time is I was a huge fan of Alanis Morissette, and it was when, like, coming off of the heels of "Jagged Little Pill," and you know, it was like this teen sensation, and. Uh, and so I wanted to sing like that. I wanted to be <laughs> all angsty and kind of sing, like, belt things out. And it took several years until we worked with a producer who was just really good at his job. And he he pointed out uh, the fact that um, he's like hey, JJ, have you noticed that your voice sounds really good when you sing quietly? Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably his nice way of saying, stop belting things out because it's not, it doesn't sound the best. Um, Interesting. But it kind of took that outside perspective for me to realize, oh yeah, that, that's kind of where the magic is right there when I, when I sing quietly. And so from that point on, it was realizing, okay, here, here is where my strength lies and I also I found out that I had a, a nodule on one of my vocal cords um, like a year or two after that and so like I physically couldn't even sing loud uh, and I still can't like I it's going to be there forever unless I have surgery and at first I was really bummed um, because it limits my vocal range like I have a very small vocal range uh, and and I can't sing very loudly either. But what I'm learning after making music for f- 15 years full-time is it's, it's those limitations that often force us into a place where we can be even more creative. And, and that's where we find all the beauty. And, and we, we push against it and we kick against it. But, but those limitations are often the gift that we need to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I, I grew up like idolizing Cirque du Soleil as a someone who grew up in the variety arts. I was just like, gosh, they are the epitome of excellence. And I remember the first time getting to interact with one of their producers and asked him, was like, what's it like to be able to create with like no constraints? And he was like, oh, that's hilarious. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but you guys have unlimited budgets. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like every single show has these constraints, regardless of what you perceive to be true. And he's like, that's how we do our best work is under under those limitations. So I think it's true. And I'm excited that Dave's here with us because I'm curious. That That's really insightful to – and I see this, I think, with a lot of people in the music industry. You guys are really good at leaning into strengths, where I find that a lot of other people who work in creative industries, they tend to become jack-of-all-trades early on. Mm. So to be willing to work with a producer who can – coach you and say, hey, maybe you should sing like this instead of like this. Um, I want to like talk a little bit about your relationship because now that can be tricky because sometimes your husband is that voice, right? And that can create conflict, I guess, in your relationship. Let's talk about, (laughs) because it sounds like he wasn't the manager. He was in the band. And then somehow over the years, he has become one of the roles that he's filling as manager, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. We we started playing music in college and the other the drummer guy was the manager but then we eventually started to gain a little bit of momentum with our music and we got engaged and we graduated from college and then we got married and decided, "Hey, let's try music for a year. And if it doesn't work out, we'll just do normal jobs." And it was it was a tough call. At the end of that year, we were <laughs> barely scraping by pretty much living on tips and eating at the dollar menu at every fast food restaurant imaginable. (laughs) Once we got married, we moved to a different state. And so it was just kind of a natural transition to leave the band and start a solo career for me. And Dave was doing all of the booking at that time. And so it was just easier for him to cold call somebody and kind of talk me up rather than saying, hey, I'm in a really great band. And <laughs> uh, and so it's just like one more level yeah. of separation. Um, but that's kind of the role that he has maintained. Um, I mean, fortunately, we don't have to do a lot of our own booking anymore, but he's still the manager. And uh, I don't know, how's that been for you, Dave?
1: I'm curious specifically, like what was the – do you remember the first time that you – as a manager, had to put on your constructive criticism hat, and how did that go over?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> when did you
1: become the producer who had to say, "Maybe you should sing like this instead of like this"?
2: I, I think I was probably too close to to JJ to be able to provide that kind of insight um, in terms of. It's like hard to be objective. Her, her because, performance, yeah. yeah, but like we definitely it was a team effort in terms of um, making uh, creative decisions about the way that the songs came around or working hand-in-hand with a producer. But um, I also, early on, didn't have a whole lot of tact. And so (laughs) I, I just... You know, I just offended JJ over and over again. Um But fortunately, how did you resolve that being married to each other?
0: Oh, it was rough. That uh, was like probably our biggest moments of tension those first years of marriage, Um, because it's like when when I go into songwriting mode, especially early on, it, it would it would be almost like I was changing personalities. Like I would tap into this super like melancholy part of my brain. <laughs> and I get all broody. And and I would write these songs. I would, you know, shut the door, write the entire song from start to finish, and I would play it for Dave, just expecting for him to congratulate me on my work of art. And his first comments would always be critical. They would be like, um don't really like that part or like ah, it's I don't and and then I would get so mad and so offended and then I would just throw out the entire song and mm-hmm. so we've learned through the years that one I know that I'm going to be in that headspace and so before I take a song to him to show him. And normally now I'll write a verse and a chorus. And then I'll say, okay, Dave, I need your feedback on this. And But before I do that... Or
2: we'll co-write together. Oh, that's true. With, with someone else. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but it, but if it's a scenario where I'm writing it by myself for the first part of it, I will do a quick self-assessment. and And sometimes I just need to say... I'm not ready for you to critique this right now. Mm-hmm. I'm too close to it, but I want to play it for you. And then he'll just like save his comments um, for tomorrow when I'm not so tired <laughs> and sensitive. Um, and so, and sometimes I'll just be like, um, "I'm not, I'm not close to this. Just tell me what you think. We can rework it." And and so it's just been a process of me realizing that about myself mm-hmm. and trying not to be so sensitive and so close to it. Um, and then him, like, he's learned to lead with a compliment always. Like, yeah. find what, okay, what do I like about it? Yeah. And, and that helps me as the sensitive artist.
2: <laughs> but I, I also think, though, that, like, when you're working on a piece of art, there's um, a tendency to associate the art with yourself. Like, my art, if my art is good, then I am good. Mm-hmm. And if my art is bad, then I am bad. And I, I think... As all you, the artists listening, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but, but I, I think like that, that's, that's something that you feel when you've only made 15 pieces of art, but after you've made hundred pieces of art, hopefully you've learned to kind of separate that. Like eventually you make that art and that art goes away mm-hmm. and you get to make something else. And so I, I think when I provide some sort of critical feedback to, um, to JJ, I'm trying to make a song better. I'm not trying to make her worse or make her better. We're just trying to work together to make something beautiful. And I I feel like that's one of the amazing things about being a musician is that when you go into a recording, unless you're some sort of like absolute genius, you have to depend on so many other people along the way. Um, And so sometimes it's another songwriter and sometimes it's an amazing instrumentalist and sometimes it's a producer and it's engineers and like there are all of these different perspectives that come into play Um, and I I think the amazing thing is that because JJ and I have such diverse gifts where she's so much of a poet and a lyricist and I'm way more editorial and just trying to kind of like put the different puzzle pieces together Mm -hmm. we're able to kind of use these different strengths to hopefully create something that's greater than the sum of its parts
1: yeah what about the nights that you go to bed like hating each other because you just didn't see eye to eye and how do you decide who try, like is it I mean do you go well like she's the artist I'm the manager so at the end of the day it's your say so
0: you, uh you it's never that? really is come it? to that <laughs> yeah I can't think of a scenario every once in a while they'll be like Dave I love this song why don't you love it and he'll be like I don't know And and then we can just it for somebody else whose opinion we value tiebreaker yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well I, th- I think too neither of us are so passionate like if you're familiar with the Enneagram neither of us are fours you know like we're mm-hmm. not like super emotional when it comes to like really holding on crazy tightly to our ideas and I, I think that's something that we've learned over time too is like m- maybe he'll like it tomorrow you know like, may, maybe we should just give it a moment and come back to it. And normally, you come back with a fresh perspective where, like, maybe maybe JJ decides that that lyric needs to change, or that melody isn't quite as strong as she first thought it was.
0: Yeah, I feel like songwriting is so much a practice in humility for so many reasons. Uh, it's It's really hard for me because I... I refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist. And so I have those tendencies where I don't want to present anything until I know that it's as close to perfect as possible. But when I'm songwriting with somebody, I can't do that. You have to just like keep throwing out ideas and see what sticks. But it's so vulnerable because it's like if you're not with safe people, there's the opportunity for them to say, well, that idea sucks. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, but I, I, I'm sorry. I'm trying. Hard to <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying. Um, so there's that aspect of it. You just have to be willing to to throw out ideas, even if they're dumb, because sometimes the dumb ideas lead to really amazing ideas. Agreed. And uh, and the other part that's um, involves humility is just uh, we've been doing a lot of co-writing with other people, and what we've both been discovering is it's so much more valuable to let your idea die to, to serve the song. But it's so against human nature. Like you want your idea in there and like you mm-hmm. want to be the special one. But it's been so fun to kind of let go of that control and to really be able to ask, okay, well, what's whose idea is going to make this a better song? And then just, just do whatever that leads to.
1: Yeah. I think that that sounds great. And people are like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like that's where we all want to get to. But how do you get there on a practical level? Like, how do you, is that just a journey of ridding yourself of some of your own identity issues and insecurities that you get to a healthier place that enables you to go in and not fight over making sure your idea wins, even if it's not the best idea?
2: Well, I, I think w- what's been interesting to me is talking to uh, friends over the years who have had commercial success. Uh, especially in music. And a lot of the time, the song that was the commercial success was the accident, rather the intended thing. So many stories of that happening. Yeah, I mean, it it, it happened with us, right? And, um, And so when you keep fumbling your way through your career, you end up learning that it's so much more mysterious and that you can't take as much credit for the stuff as you originally thought. And so it's kind of like trying to fight the waves rather than turning around and like surfing on them right Mm -hmm. um and so I think age probably helps like with experience you get to like see the young people kind of like trying to trying to go the other direction just like man just learn to float you know It's, it's a lot easier that way
1: JJ and Dave talk about the tension of trying to force people to like something. You've seen the musicians that ask you, even beg you, to tweet about their new album and like them on Facebook. And that's standard marketing, but the Hellers have learned it's just not that simple. You can't drag people into becoming fans.
0: Well, I think a big shift happened when uh, I, I had two songs just like pretty miraculously end up on some radio stations. And then I kept trying to repeat that, and Mm. they didn't want to play my music anymore, and I was really discouraged and frustrated, And I was a new mom at the time. And I had two small children at home, like a toddler and a baby. And I I just couldn't handle like the emotional pressure of trying to do this thing of, you know, what Dave was just talking about, force people to like the music that I was making. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to take a break from writing those songs. And what if I just wrote songs for my kids? What if I just wrote lullabies, um, songs that I want them to hear as they're falling asleep, uh, songs of hope and and peace and love, just letting them know that I'm cheering for them. Mm. And and I know it won't be a massive success, um, but I just feel like it's on my heart to do it, sure. and it. And so I think that we should. And so we started writing songs. We went into the studio and it wasn't until... We were in the studio and I was listening to the songs being played back. And hearing my own voice sing these songs, I realized, oh my gosh, I need to hear these songs too. And it was kind of this this moment where I realized, I think that my voice was made to sing lullabies. Um, <laughs> and it's the whole, like, I have to sing quiet because I physically can't sing loud. Um, and for my whole career, people have just mentioned things of that sort, that they just feel a sense of peace when when I'm singing. And so it was this moment of, okay, I thought I was doing this because I couldn't do that other thing. But turns out, I think this is what I was made to do in the first place. And, and it's been so cool just to see the lullabies going out into the world and to hear stories from people that it it almost has a medicinal quality. Mm -hmm. Like we've heard so many stories from people who would play it for their children who have sensory processing issues and it's the only thing that will calm them down or children going in for medical treatments. Um, We even heard a story from a soldier who was overseas and he had trouble sleeping because he would hear gunfire and bombs going off and he would put on my music and it was the only thing that would allow him to fall asleep. And, and it's just, it's, it's so incredible to me to know that my music is going out into the world and, um, being used in that way in, in people's lives. Um, I and it I, wasn't a
1: part of the plan. You're exactly. right, like I'm going to make lullabies. No,
0: I wanted to be a honest Smith set. And something tells me her lullaby album wouldn't wouldn't be the best. Um, no,
1: no.
2: I mean, maybe she's
0: grown. That's true. You know. Yeah. Hey, I don't. Wanna, I don't want to put her in a box. <laughs> well, um, you want
1: to have raging nightmares? And, like <laughs> I just want to fall asleep and have the dream where I get to throw stuff across the room. And, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but what I've realized recently, is I thought that I was making music for children, but what i realize realized is the music that I'm making is really for the children inside of all of us, mm-hmm. and how at some point in our lives, we all just want somebody to believe in us, to remind us that there's beauty in the world, and that everything's going to be okay.
2: Yeah
1: from Brad Montague who's very familiar to the story community. You know, he, he went through this process on Instagram and I think it started a story last year. Um, I don't Maybe he did it before that but for us that's when we became aware of it and he was applying these little like thought bubbles to everything from politicians and it always just said I'm just a human being who wants to be loved um, and it speaks to that like childlike innocence that we're all longing for um, but yeah, I think we're all just human beings who want to be loved and there's something about being reminded of those childlike feelings that we're trying to get back to that makes us feel that way. And I think that's really awesome. So it sounds like, you know, to go back to the question about how do you balance that tension between selling yourself and the constant pressure that we feel to, like, push our art out into the world and convince people to like it versus just making what's on our hearts and Mm -hmm. letting it find its home – Sounds like you, there was this shift between you trying to make something that was marketable to making what most resonated with you
2: and being okay with the outcome in the marketplace. Is that accurate? Totally. I, I also think um, it's sort of a, a blessing in terms of the way that the music industry has shifted, just in even in the last five years. It's like when we started making music, you had to physically make a CD. The iTunes Store hadn't even existed yet, and like the music industry, industry was trying to figure out, okay, like how do we sell music on the internet? But now, like people don't even buy music anymore. It's re- really you're trying to like, as a musician, you're just trying to find five minutes of somebody's time or three minutes of somebody's time, so that you can say something that hopefully inspires them or moves them uh, in one way or another. And so it's no longer a matter of trying to sell a physical product it's just a matter of trying to make uh, the way that a listener spends their time worth uh, listening to you
1: yeah has it also given you more permission to be more experimental I guess yes because you're like there's not all this risk associated with the cost of making like Okay, we're make this is our best guess at what people want, and we're choosing these ten songs and making a thousand copies of this CD. And now it's like we recorded a song today. Let's throw it on the internet and see if people like it.
0: Yeah, totally. Well,
2: I mean, I I have to say, in our experience, we're still we're still really investing heavily in the quality of the music, and so our songs cost thousands of dollars. Like we're paying the people here in Nashville who help us make our recordings very well, Mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily follow the typical industry model where you put together this collection of songs and this is your one chance, right? And so you put all of this marketing money behind it. Instead, it's more of a discipline of releasing music on a regular basis. So Were you going to say something about
0: that? Yeah. Well, I was going to say about a year and a half ago, we kind of started this grand experiment where we just decided, what if we released a new song on streaming outlets every month, on the first Friday of every month, and just see what happens? And since then, my streaming numbers have quadrupled, and it's just been incredible. I think part of it is just that people know what to expect. They know there's going to be a new song coming out, and so they come back and look for it. It's also been so much freedom for us too. just like what you were saying, like there's not all this pressure that – this this is the one chant. this is the one thing that needs to blow up and needs to be successful because this is my we- single for the year. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, well, I feel like writing a love song. So let's make a beautiful love song this this month. And then maybe next month it'll be a lullaby. And then maybe next month it'll be a cover song. And and if people come and they listen and it's not their thing, then they can try again next month, you yeah. know? And and so it's just it's so Freeing for us even in our songwriting to be like okay what, what's gonna serve this song what's gonna make this song the best song it can be knowing that there's not all this pressure that this this song has to pay our mortgage for the rest of the year you uh-huh. know we can just make art and make beautiful things and send them into the world with open hands, which is the (laughs) hardest part. I mean, because we work so hard in, in, in crafting something and making it as beautiful and complete as we can. But at that point you have to decide that it's ready to be let go. And once you let it go, you have to let it go. You can't control it anymore and you, you can't force people to like it and you just have to, watch as it does what it's going to do and be okay with that and know in your heart that you did the best that you could and you can't control it. It's so hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dave says that he and JJ are basically the co-CEOs of their own business. So like the CEO of any business, that comes with a lot of perks. They get to decide the risks, they get to determine the campaigns, and there's nobody around to tell them no. But it can be a liability too. One plus of having a lot of people on your team is that there are people who just have a better idea of how to succeed than you do. At what point does being your team mean you're limiting your success?
2: I think so much of it depends on what your definition of success actually is. Mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, if you're working for a record label, success is selling as much of a product as you possibly can because that gets you paid and it gets your artist famous and mm-hmm. it's going to provide for your job for the next 10 years or whatever. What we've decided success is, is making honest songs of that bring hope and peace to the child inside every person. I mean, of course it needs to pay for the next song that we make, sure. right? Otherwise, yeah. we just have a really expensive hobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, we don't believe that success is just constant growth. And it's actually something that even played a role in the pinnacle of JJ's commercial career, was that like, as her audience was expanding and reaching radio listeners all over the country, we were having children. And she was torn between wanting to be at home and be a mother versus going out and hitting the road and doing radio tours where you have to meet a whole bunch of strangers and convince them to like your stuff. And JJ was just going like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to be home with my kids. I mean, there was definitely an intentionality, even during like the most commercially successful time of JJ's career, where she wanted to kind of uh, rein it back in and, and keep things small. I love that.
1: Yeah, I just was talking to someone here on the podcast, actually, Sean Askenosi and he started this craft chocolate brand called Askenosi Chocolate, like way before the whole craft movement started. And he has this thing called reverse scaling. I don't know if that's the, those are the exact words that he used, but at a certain point, they got to a place where they had the option to kind of like scale up and take on investors and like go build this major brand. But he felt like it was also putting the integrity of his definition of success um, at stake. And so he like intentionally chose to stay small um, for the sake of not losing who they were in the process.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's so important. But like sort of following up on I think the second part of, of what we we're talking about is that to not lose who you were, you need to know who you were as yeah. well. And yeah. so we've kind of created – maybe they're a little bit unspoken, kind of guidelines uh, that we understand, like, this is this is who JJ is. This is the kind of music that JJ creates. And who knows, maybe some, in, in some point in time, that will shift. But it's important to sort of know, like, hey, this is my lane, and I can do this thing really well until I decide to step outside of it and take a risk and and do something else. But it's been a career long process to sort of discover who JJ is, what JJ sounds like, what what JJ wants to write about. Uh, and uh, we heard this great Miles Davis quote that says uh, something like, man, it takes a long time to sound like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we feel like maybe just in the past three or four years, like JJ's really started to sound like herself.
1: And the irony is, It's the wrong choice to pause and wait to create until you figure out who you are, because I think so often figuring out who we are comes through the process of creating.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, it comes through the successes and the failures, maybe more the failures than the successes.
1: So to give yourself permission to fail, which makes me wonder how many songs you have to write each month to get to that one that you release. How many bad songs do you write each month to get to that one?
2: (laughs) Well, I, I think the thing is that we have a strong editing muscle yeah, <laughs> that we if, exercise. If
0: you, if you look at, I have a stack of songwriting books, and they're all full of lyrics that have yet to be used, like half-written half songs. But what, something that I've learned um, through the years is, uh, like, when I first started writing songs, I thought I had to write it from start to finish. It had to be good or bad. Keeper or throw it away, and what I'm realizing is like there there's treasure even in the the discarded song, and so we Mm -hmm. just we keep all of those lyrics and we like pick pick through them and like take out the gems and put them in a new song, and and I think the the temptation is to just like throw the baby out with the bathwater and say like those are all terrible ideas, Mm -hmm. but but maybe in those terrible ideas there's one little gem that you can revive. We have a friend who who, uh, refers to it as he has, um, like, orphanages for melodies and for (laughs) lyrics. And sometimes they come together and make a happy family. That's
1: hilarious. (laughs) I love that. I love that. What, uh, What are you most excited about creating right now, based on this journey of feeling like you're getting closer to discovering who you are?
2: I think that the exciting thing for us is stepping into a creative season where we are very confident in knowing who we are as creators, knowing our strengths, and knowing the strengths of the team of people that we work with to help us work together to make something beautiful. And um, in the past couple of years, we've been doing more co-writing than we ever have before. And the amazing thing about a co-write is that like Every songwriter kind of has their sort of default that they end up kind of going back to. But when you combine it with another songwriter's default, it can like bloom into like a new variety of flower, right? It's mm-hmm. just like really incredible. And um, I think about songwriting and even time in the studio recording so much like a, um, an improv where like somebody's throwing you something and you got to like pick it up and, and make something happen. You know, sometimes you let it drop and they like reach down and pick it up and do something amazing. And together you're collaborating in in a way that that's magical. And I feel like that's, that's the beauty that we get to step into a room, an empty room and walk out at the end of the day with something that didn't exist before. And, like, that that's my favorite part of, of what we do. Like, we, we look at each other almost every day and say, like, we have the best job. Because it's incredible.
0: Success for me means as long as I'm hearing those stories from people about going for a drive and their child was buckled into their car seat and freaking out and they put on my music and he calmed down Mm -hmm. or they were really scared um before going in for cancer treatment and my song brought them hope that is what makes me want to keep writing and singing and it. It's, it's just an unbelievable privilege for me to know that my voice and my songs are invited into those sacred spaces of people's lives, into their homes, into their cars, into their hospital rooms, and it's something that I do not take lightly, and it is an immense honor for me, and I, yeah, I have the best job.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I was just, while you were talking, it was reminding me of, like, when, when you're in college like, in many ways, music is the way that, like, you you just feel everything, and and there's, like, such an incredible tie to, like, the music that you listen to in that sort of incredibly developmental moment in your life, and to see videos of kids learning the guitar and, like, playing JJ's music and recognizing that, like, Somebody did that for us, and we're getting to do that for somebody else. And not even knowing what fruit is going to come from that, like what amazing pieces of art are going to enter the world because we made some mediocre art, you know? <laughs> um, like that's a really exciting thing. Yeah.
1: So if you have a mic that's connected to thousands of other storytellers, who work in a variety of disciplines um, and had to say one thing to them, what would you want them to know?
0: Hmm. I would want them to know that their voice is unique and to keep searching for that magic and to not try to be like anybody else. The magic is in who you already are.
1: Yeah. So maybe there's some people listening to this that are trying to be the angry, screaming, singing loudly, (laughs) and they just need to sing more softly.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: And maybe there's people that are singing far too softly they need to raise the level of their voice totally yeah. Dave anything from you <laughs>
0: <laughs> hmm. give us your put, wisdom put on
1: put on your manager hat to yeah. so all of the artists out there listening
2: we well, are you're, like ah oh, if I could just hear advice from a manager here, oh he's, he's gonna tell you something <laughs> practical now. here's what a manager <laughs> would say yep don't spend your money <laughs> keep saving yeah, like yeah, like
1: yeah, we joke about that, but that's like really great practical advice for people who are trying to make a living doing something
2: oh, man. super creative well, uh, you know about master class mm-hmm. like I just like absorb those things, like if you buy two of them, you get to watch all of them, mm-hmm. so like i I'm just plowing through master classes I'm not doing the classwork, I'm just listening to masters <laughs> talk to me. Um, but Ken Burns talks about that, mm-hmm. whereas like, he gets to choose whether, whether he lives in New York City and lives a fancy life um, not doing his craft, or whether he lives somewhere out in the country and gets to make amazing documentaries. And like, your art will demand sacrifice. But if you love your art enough, you will make that sacrifice and it will be worth it. And so, you know, when we started out, we had one cell phone. We had one car. We had an apartment that was 500 square feet. We didn't have cable. It was like all of these different things that are creature comforts. You give up because you believe that your art is worth making. So, like, tell your story. And you're, like, while doing that, don't drive a Tesla. Like, you know, <laughs> like, um, wait, wait for that to hopefully come along. But yeah. in, the, in the meantime, do the thing that matters and just like the chances are the success that you end up seeing is going to be a big surprise to you anyway. Yeah. That's so true in my experience. That's
1: good stuff. Just take the mic and just drop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to pay for that. Dude.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Cause this is incredibly content rich. You should, guys should be encouraged. Oh, Thanks. good. Thanks. Yes.
0: Well, I think, um, no matter what field you're in, it's so tempting to want to be a part of like the big dogs, like be in the super popular, really quote unquote successful part of whatever you're in, the industry that you're in. Um, and for us, we've chosen to stay independent. We've chosen to not align with a record label. Not that that's bad, but it's just, um, It's the path that we felt the most comfortable with, but in sacrificing that uh, kind of prestige, I guess, it's given us so much ability to be nimble and to change the course of the ship, just like if we feel like it, you know, and and to make exactly what we want to make and to reach the exact people that we want to reach with our music. And there's no red tape, it's just us. And for us, that's a sacrifice that's worth it. And so I think it's good to not assume that being a part of a really successful company is kind of like the end all be all. There are other ways to do things and we have really enjoyed being the underdogs and to fly under the radar a little bit um and to to make our mark on the world no matter how small it is
1: yeah it reminds me of how many of us are just looking for they're like just give me the template or the blueprint or the map that i'm supposed to and i'll just fill in the blank and it's just it's not the way the world works
2: man that's the truth uh, well um <laughs> and maybe you, it can work like I'll that, give you but a we end up really unhappy people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure if you've interacted with John Acuff, but I kind of quote a, a little outline that he gives and like, it starts out with um, learning and it moves to editing and eventually it moves to mastering and after mastering, you start harvesting. And what every learner wants to do is skip the editing and mastering so that they can immediately get to the harvesting. And, like, it doesn't happen. Like, even if you get on American Idol and you blow everybody away, the people who are harvesting are the, like, business people behind the show. It's, like, not even the artist. It's, yeah. like – and then, like, there's a step after harvesting, which is – uh Mentoring? Mentoring, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, What do I win? (laughs) (laughs) You win more advice. It's priceless. (laughs) Um, But mentoring is like the incredible gift of people surpassing you. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like the beginners want to impress and the mentors just want to give. Mm -hmm. Um, The amazing thing is the mentors are the ones who are going to leave the mark and not the people who did the impressive thing once. Yeah. Oh, I did want to tell the story of, um, the, the single that we released in January of this year. Um, we wrote it last summer and, um, it's called big love, small moments. And it's just a song about, um, it's kind of a reflection on this entire conversation. It's most of the time, the little things that end up having the really big impact in your life. And there was something about it when we wrote it that felt like this is, this is going to be something really special. Um, and we couldn't wait to release it out into the world. And we uh, have struck up this partnership with a uh, videographer who's just North of town, who's incredible. And she has this massive body of work that she's done for all of these clients. like, Uh, weddings and family video shoots and that kind of thing. And what we've just done is asked her if we can access some of that footage to be able to put JJ's music underneath it. And um, for this new video, uh, it features uh, a woman who's uh, giving birth. And it's not graphic. It's just sort of like the process of labor and then like this home birth and her family being around her. And it's contrasted to this other footage of a woman who is dealing with cancer. And she's like with her family and having a day at the beach. And um, we made this video and we released it on social media. But for Instagram, you have to like break up the different parts to be a minute long. And the first minute is just the the birth scene. And uh, last month, we put it out. and. What ended up happening is all of these doulas and people from the birthing <laughs> community started sharing this 1 minute clip so that it reached like this entire audience segment mm-hmm. that w- we didn't plan on reaching and it was just something that like that happened incredibly organically and I love that that was a moment of like somewhat viral success like mm-hmm. th- 3 million impressions okay cool but it's a moment and it's gone And then you have the additional three and a half minutes of, like, what is the entire song. And that's going to live on for much longer than that one moment. And so, like, on the one hand, it's fun to celebrate the viral kind of excitement of a week and a half. But then there's also, like, the lasting and enduring legacy of the song itself and the video that complements it and i i feel like you can celebrate both of those uh for what they are
1: yeah i just listening to your story it's like you guys are such an example of people who have just faithfully created with discipline um regardless of what the outcome would be
2: well it's cuz you- we haven't had that much success so we have to keep making
1: Dave is joking here, but here's the thing. He and JJ have had success. It's just not the success that a lot of people in their scene would consider success. They've been able to redefine what success means, and that's made them successful in richer, more fulfilling ways than they would have been otherwise. It's a lasting success, and in fact, that's the vibe they took into recording JJ's new album. I Dream of You, Volume 2.
2: Well, the one thing that we definitely didn't talk about that will be brief is just sort of addressing uh, the new record, uh, like I Dream of You, Volume 2. Mm. And um, it's just sort of that, like, we want to create something, m- music that lasts. Yeah. And so we chose songs from 50 years ago that we think will last another 50 years, you know?
0: Yeah. So just going along with that idea of creating peaceful songs for people. Uh, Last November, we released another lullaby album full of cover songs this time. And so all of our favorite songs from the last, what, like 75 years? Yeah, so songs like Bridge Over Troubled Water and Here Comes the Sun, and it's such a good feeling for Mr. Rogers. (laughs) And the production of these songs, it's just amazing. Um, it, it has orchestration. It kind of sounds more like a movie soundtrack. And so I, I always feel like, it's n- like I have to explain. It's not what you think of when you think of a lullaby album. Um, we just wanted it to be cinematic and mm-hmm. timeless so that you couldn't put a timestamp on it.
2: Our new philosophy when it comes to making music is to try to make music that doesn't get very popular in one moment. Everything mm-hmm. that we've experienced in JJ's career is a very slow build of starting very small and one person tells another person and they tell another person. And eventually we look back and, and then there's thousands of people who have who have discovered a record or a song. But are
1: true fans and not just exactly. whimsical, like I like her now, but not tomorrow. Right, yeah.
2: Yeah. exactly. And so what, what we've done in creating uh, our latest content is just trying to make stuff that can stand the test of time. And hopefully people will look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and go, that sounded great back then, and it sounds really good right now. Like It's the kind of music that we hope that kids today will be playing for their kids. Yeah, which is so little of Top 40. Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, Top 40
1: comes and goes, and then three years later you listen to it, and you're like, why did I used to listen to that?
0: Right, and I think the thing about this record is it gets – better the more that you listen to it mm. like it's not it doesn't catch you I mean it's not impressive it's not loud but it's it's full of nuance and subtle beauty and so you kind of have to live with it for a while and that's kind of a big reflection of my whole career. <laughs> it means you have depth
1: there's depth there. That's right layers. The more you peel them back the deeper you go. That's right I love this conversation with dave and jj but who am i kidding i love all the conversations you hear on the story podcast partly because i love that i am consistently reminded of the role storytellers play in the world and partly because i'm just blown away by the people we've had a chance to sit down and talk to they're just incredible human beings what an honor and a privilege it is to be able to talk to so many And if you've enjoyed being able to listen in and haven't done so please take a moment to rate or review the show on itunes or other places and continue to share these episodes with others on social media it means the world when we see mentions of how others are inspired by these conversations. And speaking of conversations, our team recently completed a full overview of the conversation we wanna have over the course of two days at Story 2019 this September. And I've been having some incredible interactions with our 2019 speaker lineup the last few weeks. We're getting so close to being able to announce our first round of speakers. That's coming up in mid-April. So be sure to keep an eye on story2019.com. If you haven't already, sign up to get email announcements. Uh, if you're already receiving those, then I'm sure you'll be in the loop. You'll be one of the first to discover our first round of announcements. As always, thank you for listening to the Story Podcast. I am Harris III, and until next time, keep telling stories they are shaping the future.